Welcome to the Ramp Church Podcast. We are so honoured that you've joined us today and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Ramp Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website, ramp.church forward slash mcr or find us on social media. Now let's head straight into this week's message. Matthew chapter 3 verse 13 Hopefully it will come up on the screen if... Oh, that rhymed. Emma was saying about doing raps. Maybe I should uh, <coughs> branch out. Some of you guys will get the private joke. Matthew 3.13. So it says this. Um, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized. Everyone say baptized. <laughs> baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him. I just, <laughs> don't you think, it's so funny, like, all the different people who prevent Jesus from doing things. I'm just like, guys, like, kind of, because he's the son of God, do you not think maybe it's a good idea maybe not to try and prevent him from doing anything? Just kind of let him do his own thing? Um, John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? Great question. I love it. Um, so I have a question for you tonight, and uh, it's one for you to ponder, for you to think in your mind. And the question is this, did Jesus need to be baptized? Hmm. I see some cogs whirring in the brain. Some people are thinking, I'm not in school today, like why are you doing this to me? <laughs> did Jesus need to be baptized? I hope that most of you will immediately come with the answer, No. He didn't need to be baptized. Of course, the baptism that John was giving was a baptism of repentance. Everyone say repentance. Hopefully most of you know what that means. If you don't, it's almost as if you're living life your own way and the message of Christianity is repent, which means simply turn the other way and live for Jesus. Okay, that is the message of repentance. So when you think about Jesus needing to receive the baptism of repentance, you're thinking, no, he doesn't. He doesn't need to be baptized. However, Jesus has a very interesting response to this question. Jesus is coming to John with the intention that he will be baptized. I promise you I'm going somewhere with this. So hold your horses. That's what we say in England. If you're English in here, you know what I mean. If you're American, you might know, not know what I mean. Verse 15, it says, But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So in one sense, Jesus didn't need to be baptized because he didn't have any sin that he needed to be baptized because of. But from Jesus' perspective, it was urgent that he was baptized. It was almost as if to Jesus, he did need to be baptized. But why did he need to be baptized? Not because he had any sin. I want to make that abundantly clear. Nobody leave this room saying, Josh Green said Jesus had sin. No, 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 no. But Jesus didn't need to be baptized, but he wanted to be baptized. There's a big difference. To Jesus, Jesus' perspective wasn't a perspective of, Sin or no sin. Jesus' perspective was, I want to be obedient to every word of my Father. And if he wants me to be baptized, then I will be baptized. What does he say? To fulfill all righteousness. 
Jesus wasn't in this sin or not sin mode. He was in, I want to be obedient to God. And this is the difference between religion and having a relationship with God. Because religion is constantly in the do's and don'ts camp. Don't do this, do do this, don't do this, don't do this. And you get so much into religion that you think it's your own behavior that makes you right before God. Relationship, even though it might look similar to religion, in the way of you will do some things and not do some things, the motivation is completely different. Relationship is, I want to do this because I want to live for God. Not because I feel restricted by the fear of religion, but because I am, I am enamored, I am consumed with love for God, that I want to do this. I don't want to live this way. Not because I'm scared and in fear, but because I'm in love with God. Jesus had progressed from this idea of perfectionism to the idea of pursuit of God. There is a huge difference. God is not after perfectionism from you. He's after pursuit. A true pursuit of God will absolutely lead to holiness. Hear me out. But religion is constantly in the camp of perfectionism. Perfectionism is, it's my behavior, it's what I'm doing, I've got to make sure I'm living right, and it produces anxiety and worry and fear. But pursue, pursue after God fills me with the Spirit of God so that I can actually live for God. You can't live for God without God. Hello? Newsflash, <laughs> we need the Holy Spirit. As long as you stay in this ideal of perfectionism, you'll only be saving yourself. And I don't know about you, but I'm a pretty lousy saviour. And when I think about Jesus, what an awesome saviour we have. I can't save myself. I don't need to save myself. Jesus came and say, it says in John 3, 17, that God didn't send his son into the, the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Newsflash, Jesus wants to save you. Some of you in here think Jesus only came down on the cross for like some of the really nice people here on earth. Do you know Jesus actually wanted to save you? Some of you, you, you find it easier to believe that you're a sinner and that God doesn't love you. You find that easier to believe than God loves me and he wants to save me. And I say this in a loving way. That demonstrates that you have a religious spirit. Because a religious spirit is founded in what I do and don't do for God. But a relationship with God is somebody who's humble enough to say, I can't do it. I can't save myself. I need a saviour. And Jesus says in Matthew 5 that those people are blessed. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Think about that phrase for a second. Poor in spirit. I don't think anybody wakes up to come to church on Sunday and thinks, I hope that church today makes me poor in spirit. But actually, if we're doing church rightly... We should leave thinking, you know what? I'm pretty poor in spirit. I don't have much to give to God, but he's got a whole lot to give for me.
The Bible says this. It's not that we loved God, but it's that he loved us first. It's not that we loved God. That's religion. Religion is all about my love for God. Come on, somebody. But relationship is, it's his love for me. And so we sing, I love that song, Majesty, forever I am changed by your love. Forever I'm changed by your love. And, you know, I'm somebody who preaches for holiness. I'm somebody who preaches for consecration. I believe in that. I want to keep, you know, we need messages like that. We need to keep preaching like that. Holiness, the Bible says, without holiness, no one will see God. But we've got to be careful. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down because when the Holy Spirit said this to me, it shot through my spirit. He said, don't overstate your consecration and understate my crucifixion. Don't overstate your consecration and understate my crucifixion. Now, rest assured, if you focus on the crucifixion of Jesus, it will drive you into consecration. There is no consecration apart from being consumed with the cross of Jesus. Because the cross of Jesus, the Bible says, godly sorrow produces repentance in you. You know, let me just clear this up for a second, because most people in the West have a really bankrupt idea of what repentance actually is. Because we love the verse that says the kindness of God leads you to repentance. But listen to the language. The kindness of God leads you to repentance. So it just gets you to the door. But godly sorrow produces repentance. What's godly sorrow? It's in 2 Corinthians 7.10. It says godly sorrow. So Romans 2.4 says the kindness of God leads you to repentance. Same author, 2 Corinthians 7.10, both Paul writing, says godly sorrow produces repentance. What's godly sorrow? Godly sorrow is this. My sin put him on the cross. Tim Hughes said it in a song. He said, I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon the cross. And so many of us are consumed with the idea of God's kindness, but we don't want godly sorrow to get inside of us so that we actually repent. Because in the same breath that many of us, uh, we, find it, we find it easy to be convinced that we're sinners and we can't be loved by God, there's also another camp of people who think they're totally awesome and who think that they are absolutely amazing and they have a very, very hard time accepting godly sorrow. They have no problem with accepting the kindness of God. They're like, God should be kind to me. I'm amazing. <laughs> but they have a very hard time accepting, I'm a sinner and I sin. See, the thing is about sin is you need to have a revelation of sin. Because if you don't have a revelation of sin, you won't have a true revelation about your Savior. That's why the law came first and then grace came. The law came first to reveal sin and then grace came to save us from sin. That's why the old hymn writer wrote, when he wrote Amazing Grace, he said, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The reason why he realized that God's grace is so amazing is because he realized his sin was so grave. And you won't realize how amazing the cross is until you realize 
that we do sin. And that's where we realize, I need God. Like, I really need God. I know I'm up here preaching. Maybe you don't want to hear, to hear the, the preacher saying that he needs God. I need God. I needed him this morning. I needed him this afternoon. I need him right now. I need him the day I got saved. I need him the next day. I need him every single day. I need God. I need God. You all need God. Listen, we're all in the same camp. (laughs) We're all in the same boat. If you're a preacher, if you're a pastor, if you're a police officer, if you're a kid on the street, if you're a homeless person, if you're a banker, if you're a doctor, we all need God. The king needs God. That's why I love the queen. She realized she needed God. She didn't get so enamored with her position that she forgot that she still needed God. See, your faith will crumble if it's always focused on your devotion. Your faith will crumble if it's always focused on your devotion. But your faith will stand strong if it's focused on his, his crucifixion. Let's look at another scripture. You guys doing okay? We went there in like the first five minutes. It's okay though. John 11, uh, John 11 2. I want to look at the scripture. John 11, story of Lazarus. Um, we sang before you turn graves into gardens. I love that song. Anybody else? And uh, John 11 starts telling the story about when Jesus went to raise Lazarus from the dead. And what I find very interesting is it almost seems out of nowhere that John inserts verse 2 in the passage. It kind of seems like it doesn't really fit in the story. Uh, John 11, it says, you know, there was a certain man who was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, in the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And verse 2 says this, it was that Mary... Everyone say that Mary. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And you might be wondering why have I brought this up. We have this picture of radical worship right in the context of radical suffering. I just wonder whether John put it there just to remind people, it doesn't matter how radical your worship is. Life touches everybody. Your faith is going to come under testing no matter what. Even if you're that Mary, even that Mary had to go through some stuff. Some people need to be set free tonight because you're going through some stuff tonight and you think I didn't worship God enough. Listen, if that Mary went through it, you might go through it too. And the promise of John 11 is Jesus is with you right in it. I just, I love that. It's another demonstration that our faith cannot be focused on what we do for God. It's what he does for us. It's what he does for us. Man, if my faith was based on what I did for God, it would would be a mess. My faith is based on what he did for me. Man, if I was saved by my behavior, I haven't got a chance. But I'm saved by his behavior on the cross. Perfect obedience. Radically laid down his life for me. Listen, the more you focus on your consecration, the more you'll be disappointed. 
the more you focus on his crucifixion, the more you'll be propelled into radical worship of Jesus, focusing on Jesus. There's an old phrase, I, I don't actually know who said it, but it says this, it says, if you look inside, you'll be distressed. If you look at the world, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. I love that. Can anyone resonate with that tonight? <laughs> like, I look inside myself for answers and I'm like, ah! <laughs> look at the world and I see the news and there's just bad news after bad news after bad news. But when I look at Jesus, I see good news. He came to bring good news to the poor. And I don't know about you, I need some good news. I, I need good news. <laughs> I need it. You know, the devil doesn't know what to do with a people who choose to praise God no matter what. It confuses him. Like, he would love for the suffering in your life to produce sorrow in you, to produce downheartedness in you. And he would also love if maybe that suffering produced anger in you and bitterness and rage. But he doesn't know what to do with the sacrifice of praise. That's why no matter what I'm going through, I'm coming to church. I'm going to the prayer meeting. I'm going to fast. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray, not because of what I have to give to God, but because what He gave to me. He, he held nothing back when He gave it to me. He didn't hold one thing back. Can you imagine if He just gave up on the cross? <sighs> this is getting a bit hard. Can't believe I'm dying for that Josh Green. Man, what a mess. Let me just get down from here real quick. Listen, Jesus didn't just endure the cross. The Bible says, for the joy set before him. What? <laughs> for the joy? Can you imagine that you have to go and be crucified later on tonight? I'm telling you, the last thing you'll be feeling is thinking about joy. Jesus, you know, yes, he went through the, the sorrow and the Garden of Gethsemane and all that. But at some point, joy started to light like a flame in his soul. What was he thinking about? He was thinking about you. You are the joy that was set before him. I don't know. I just Part of me just wonders whether every time somebody enters into heaven and Jesus sees them, I wonder if it just tops up the joy in him. He's probably overflowing with joy anyway, but just, oh, there's another one that I died for. Oh, there's another one. Don't you love that song? Hell lost another one. I just, I wonder if Jesus is just joining in in heaven with that song. I think he loves it more than me and you. I, th I think he's up in heaven like, yes, you lost another one. I gained another one <laughs> for the joy that was set before him. I'm like halfway through in the, in, through the introduction. This is, uh, I need to speed up. <laughs> but the Spirit of God wants to be involved in every area of your life. Galatians 2.20 says this. Hopefully we can put this on the screen. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life I live. I live by the Son of God who loved me and get, notice this, the life I live, I live by faith 
my faith? No. I live by faith in the Son of God who did what? Who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't live by religion. I live by relationship with the one who loved me. That is the Christian life. I don't live by duty. I live by devotion. I don't live by perfection. I live by pursuit for the one who loved me. doesn't say anything about my love for God there. It only says about his love for me. You know, something really interesting. We were looking in, in the Gospel of John before, and it's aptly titled the Gospel of John. It's kind of his story. I guess, in some way about Jesus and how we met Jesus and how he experienced Jesus. But do you know John wrote another book? Hello? Do you know it's not called John Part 2? Do you know what it is called? The Revelation of Jesus. I just wonder as he got older, whether he started to realize, my story's not that important. But his story is. And I've told some stories about Jesus and my love for Jesus and the disciple whom Jesus loved. But actually what people really need to know at the end of my life is the revelation of Jesus. There's so much wisdom when you cross the line from your faith in Jesus to his faith in you. What we really need as much as we need radical devotion, we need radical devotion. But what we need mostly is radical dependency. Like radical dependency. Because radical devotion, really, it, it, it points a finger at me and it requires something of me. And that's okay. But first and foremost, I need to recognize that I need radical dependency. Because it puts all my trust, all my reliance on Jesus. You know, my granddad is um, a mighty man in the Lord. He only reads the King James Bible. He's one of those old school guys. And he says, he always uses the phrase, he always says, you've got to put your faith on Jesus. You've got to trust on the name of the Lord. Modern translations seem to say in you have to have faith in Jesus. You have to trust in Jesus. And that's okay. But I love the way the old school writers write it. Because it's like this, this, this language of, I have to put my faith on Jesus. It's not just about believing in Jesus. I need my faith on Jesus. Because if my faith was all reliant on me, I've got no chance. But if it's on him, I'm going to be okay. Because it's my faith is safe in his hands. Galatians 5.25, here's another one that kind of communicates the same thing. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. There's not just, you know, many of us, we've received the Holy Spirit and that's awesome. But the Holy Spirit is not just for one time when you receive him. He's for your walk. He's for your everyday walk. He's not just for your worship. He's for your walk. Galatians 4, 6 says this. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So what is the spirit that you're walking by doing? It's crying out that you need to be radically dependent on your father. The whole time. It's crying out, Father, 
Father. What did Jesus cry out when he was here on earth? Father. Because he was living this life constantly focused on what his father wanted to do and what his father was saying. We need radical dependency. And you know, I, as I was praying for you guys tonight, I felt like there were some people in here, some of you are doing the father's job for him. You might have been let down by a dad before and you can't trust God as your father. And so you've decided, I'm going to do God's job for him. I'm thankful that he saved me. I've become a Christian, but now I'm going to carry on this life for God in my own strength. Doing the father's job for him. But the father in heaven saying, why are you doing all that stuff? I want to do that for you. If my four-year-old was, I, you know, came down the stairs one morning and I found her climbing up our cupboards, trying to make herself breakfast, trying to do everything, trying to get herself dressed by herself, I'd be like, okay, first, please stop because it's dangerous. <laughs> and please don't make a mess in my house. But I'd also be a little bit offended because she's doing my job for me. I'm like, Hallie, let me love you. And some of you need to hear those words tonight. From the Father, let me love you. Let me love you. Because there's a huge difference between you saying, I love God, and you saying, God loves me. It's quite easy to say, I love God. But there's many of you who have a blockage in saying, God loves me. Because when you think about God loves me, all you can think about is your past. All you can think about is people who've loved you before and let you down. But God loves you. And you need to let him love you. Because that's what the spirit in you is crying out for. To be radically dependent on your father. So let's go back to Matthew 3. Where we were before. How are we doing for time? Oh, my days. Okay. Let's hurry up. <laughs> Matthew three sixteen. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. Don't you just love that? Jesus just living with this, this focus on God. This focus on just fulfilling all righteousness. This focus not on do's and don'ts, but just radical obedience. Radical dependency on his Father. And what was he under by doing that? An open heaven. When you constantly just live with an awareness of God, the heavens are just open to you. You ever felt like in prayer sometimes that it's just closed, that it's just shut off? It communicates to me that I need to open up more and be more dependent on God. Not that I need to be more devoted to God. Because that's what we see here. The heavens were opened to somebody who's just trying to fulfill all righteousness. Just trying to do what he asked me to do. Awareness of my Father in heaven. And listen to the words that, G that the Father speaks to Jesus. Verse 17. A voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. What was he well pleased in? He was well pleased in, in the fact that Jesus was his beloved Son. That's it. He didn't say, this is my beloved son who's followed all the rules and got everything right, although he did. <laughs> he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You need to hear that tonight from the Lord. God loves you because he's your father, not because of your behavior. And look, let's see what happens after this. Because 
There's nothing that the devil tries to fight more than a revelation of your sonship and a revelation of a reliance on God. The devil would love to keep you bound in religion because that means when you go out into the world and try and affect the world, you'll be doing everything based on your own power, your own strength. And the devil would love for you to go out into the world and do everything by your own power and your own strength. But the devil directly opposes a revelation of sonship and a revelation of divine love. Because this is what happens, Matthew 4. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, I love this, afterwards he was hungry. (laughs) I love that. Just communicating again Jesus' humanity. Fully God and fully man. But I love that it says here that he fasted 40 days and 40 nights because it makes me think of uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, which is going to be referenced in a moment, where the Israelites wandered the wilderness, same place Jesus is in, wandered the wilderness for what? 40 years. This communicates to me that Jesus is in the business of obeying in every area of our disobedience perfecting every imperfection. And guess what? He did it quicker. (laughs) What took them 40 years to work out, Jesus came along and redeemed and reversed the curse of in 40 days. It's his obedience. It's his sinless nature. You know, his sinless nature was crucial to the crucifixion. And he perfected every area of our disobedience. And the devil comes to Jesus, verse 3 now. You guys doing okay? A couple more minutes, I promise. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And James Aladdin pointed this out to me one time. What word did the devil miss out? Hey, well done. Because <laughs> the, the Father just said to Jesus, This is my beloved Son. The devil comes to Jesus and says, if you are the son. So he always questions love and he always questions identity. If you are the son of God. Command that these stones become bread. Command that these stones become bread. You know, Jesus didn't take the stones and turn them into bread, obviously because he didn't want to follow the devil but also because Jesus knew that if he took the stones and turned them into bread, which he could, it would have tasted like bread in the moment, but in the end it would have felt like a stone in the pit of his stomach. Because that is what the devil offers you. It seems really good in the moment, but in the end it fills you with guilt and shame. That thing seems so enticing, so awesome, but you don't know that it's laced with addiction. Tastes like bread in the moment, but in the end it feels like a stone. Somebody else talked about stones and bread. In Luke 11, Jesus said, What father, when you ask for bread, will give you a stone? I'll tell you what father, the father of lies. When you ask for bread from this world, it will be a stone in the end. The father of lies, when you ask for bread, will give you a stone. But the father of lights... Oh, he satisfies every time. It might feel like a stone in the moment. It may feel like a hard decision to follow God. But in the end, it satisfies. Jesus responded to the devil with words from Deuteronomy 8. He said, 
It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Notice something. Notice that he said every word. If you are under the age of 30 in here, I really want you to take notice right now. Because in your generation, something is happening to the word of God. Because Jesus counteracted the devil by saying every word. I tell you what's happening in our generation right now. People are trying to rip up this book. They're okay with some words, not okay with every word. Okay with God is love, but not okay when God starts to define what that love looks like. Room goes super quiet. Okay with John 3.16 where it says God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. Not okay with Revelation 3.16. Where Jesus said I'd rather you be hot or cold. If you're lukewarm I'll spit you out of my mouth. Same Jesus. Same Jesus. Are you okay not just to hear God when he's got something good to say to you? Are you okay when he's got truth to tell you? Because in a relationship, sometimes, many times, my wife has to tell me <laughs> when I do things wrong. Why is she telling me that? Because she loves me. We live in this generation that has a warped idea of love that says, you won't tell people the truth if you love them. What? Have you ever tried bringing up kids with that way? Like, I love my kids so much, that's why I tell them not to run across the road. Come on, somebody. All right, good. Verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. The devil set Jesus on the pinnacle of the temple. What's Jesus' position right now in relation to the church? Head of the, head of the church. Head of the church. So the devil took him to the pinnacle, to the head of the church. Watch this right now. And said to him, if again, second time, devil comes to him, second time. Listen, if you're under spiritual attack right now and you feel guilty because it's something, you think it's because of something wrong that you did, the devil came to Jesus and he was sinless. He came to him a second time, not just once, twice. Cheeky. And he came to him not just twice, he came to him twice with the same thing. If you are the son of God, just because you've had victory in one area doesn't mean the devil's not going to test you in that area again. Pastor Micah talked about that a few weeks ago. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. What? Notice how quickly it changes with the devil. This is why you've got to be attentive and vigilant in this world. Because it went from breaking your fast, turning stones into bread, to kill yourself. Just to make it clear that the devil's bread turns to stone in the end. Right here. The devil comes with something casual. Something that seems so harmless. But you don't know what he's going to say next. Throw yourself down. Huh? Listen, I see it all the time. And I pray that it won't be you in this room. But I see it with young people all the time. They're loving God. They're going for God. They think God is amazing. They're at the front row of church every single week. And then that boy comes along. 
that they know they're not supposed to be with. That girl comes along that they know they're not supposed to be with. And they get in that relationship. There's nothing wrong with having this relationship. Yeah, he's not a Christian, but so what? Yeah, she's not a Christian, but so what? Six months later, that person ain't even in church anymore. Don't even believe in Jesus anymore. Just to show you, it might seem like stones into bread, but trust me, there's a plan and an assignment behind it to take you out. I heard a man of God say this to me this week. Take out the shepherd, scatter the sheep. You have a purpose for your life. To produce fruit, to see people get saved, to see people get healed. That's the sheep, right? So if the devil can just take you out, then he takes all of the fruit out. Take out the shepherd, scatter the sheep. That's why you have to be vigilant. Because listen, I'm not just preaching right now to the 18-year-old you, to the 20-year-old you, to the 21-year-old you. I'm preaching to the 30-year-old you. The one that's got a plan and a destiny. The one that's got an assignment from God. Some of you, you don't understand. The devil knows your purpose better than you do. That's why he's coming after you. It's not just about you. You're not that amazing. Neither am I. <laughs> but the devil wants your assignment as well. So he came after Jesus' purity, stones into bread. And then what does he come after? Jesus' purpose, head of the church. Now watch what he does next. This is so crafty. If the band could come up, that would be amazing. Watch what the devil does next. Verse 6, Matthew 4, 6. For it is written. Huh? The devil starts quoting Bible now? And watch this. Not just one Bible verse. Two Bible verses. And not just two Bible verses. But Bible verses that were specifically about Jesus and about his assignment on the earth. Whoa. About his death. Trying to tell Jesus to cast himself off the temple and that the angels will raise him from the dead. Notice how vigilant and discerning Jesus had to be in that time. Because the words that are coming to him are in the Bible. And they are about his purpose. And still he had to know to say no. Because it might be the right word. It might be about your purpose. But if, if it's from the wrong spirit, there's a demonic attachment and assignment to it. You've got to know. Jesus said it all the time. My time has not yet come. You've got to live in the timing of God. You've got to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and you've got to live by the Spirit to know the timing of God in your life. So the devil quotes the Bible to Jesus. Jesus says back to him, it's written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And it says again, the devil took him on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this world. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you out for the small print if you fall down and worship me what so it's gone from stones into bread to kill yourself to worship satan it's turning up real quick 
So in John 10, it says this, John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Notice how it gets worse and worse as it goes along. Steal, stones into bread, kill, throw yourself down from the temple, destroy, bow down and worship me. You might be living your life thinking it's okay. It's just stones into bread. It's just a website. It's just a relationship. It's just a few beers on a Friday night and you can't see the demonic assignment attached to it. But God's got a purpose for your life. And if you start to lock eyes with God and eyes that burn like fire in love for you, it will turn you off from everything else in the world tells Jesus to bow down and worship him and Jesus says this away with you Satan for it is written you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve now I want you to notice something about this passage because living for God as I've said before is not just about your behavior it's not just about clenching your teeth clenching your buttocks and just living the right way Living for God is about relationship with him. I want you to notice something about this passage. Everything that the devil offered to Jesus, the Father gave to him in the end. Hello? Everything the devil offered Jesus, the Father actually gave to him in the end. He offered him bread. Jesus became the bread. He said, I am the bread of life. He said, if you throw yourself down from here, the angels will save you. When Jesus died on the cross, God raised him from the dead. The devil offered him all the kingdoms of this world. God gave Jesus all the kingdoms of this world and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every tongue should confess, every knee shall bow, that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Father gave it to him in the end. And some of you, you're settling for a cheap thrill because you don't want to wait for the expensive purposes of God. God has got steak for you and you're settling for McDonald's. If you're a vegan, create your own alternative. <laughs> See, God has a plan for you to live in his love to be married and to be in a loving relationship. So the devil comes with lust. God wants you to have love. The devil comes with lust. Cheap thrill. Cheap thrill. But I want the real thing. Everything the devil has to offer, it's broken, it's tainted, it's laced with assignments that are to leave you bound in addictions and perversions and torment and guilt and shame. But everything that God has for you is good. The Bible says every perfect gift comes from God. The devil's gifts are polluted. God's gifts are perfected. final thing I want to share with you tonight I believe the Holy Spirit tonight wants to do a work in so many of us to set us free from that religious spirit that says I can do this on my own to set us free from that and to empower us with the strength to love God I want to look at one more little bit of scripture John 11 just as I close John 11 back to the story of Lazarus of course Lazarus dies 
He's there in the grave for four days. And I read this this morning. It just, it just blew up. I was like, oh, I, just, I read something that I'd never quite read before. Because I knew that Jesus came to the grave to deliver Lazarus from the death, from the dead. And I knew that Jesus said to him, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible says that Lazarus came out with his grave clothes still on. But I didn't realise that Jesus then said something else. That wasn't the final word over Lazarus. John 11, 43 and 44. Now when Jesus had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Listen to the language. He came out bound. Some of you, you've become a Christian, but you're still bound. Some of you, you've, you've, you've felt the love of God, you've experienced the love of God, but you still feel bound by addictions, by websites, by things that you've been doing, by guilt, by shame. Listen, and I'm here to tell you tonight, God's not done with you yet. God's got another word still to say to you. You might have thought, God's already done the work in me. No, 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 no. He's still got a work in your life to do. You might have come out bound with your feet bound, your hands bound, your face you can't see. Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. Listen, Jesus doesn't want to just save you. He wants to walk with you every day as you take those grave clothes off. And guess what? You don't take them off. He does it. Jesus doesn't just say to you, come forth, Lazarus, come out the grave. He says, loose him and let him go. He doesn't want you just to be saved. He wants you to continue to walk with him, but it's by his word, not yours. Jesus has already said to a lot of you, Lazarus, come forth. A lot of you have already made that decision, the Bible says, to cross over from death into life. But some of you need to hear the second words that Jesus has for you. I want to loose you and let you go. Coming out of the grave clothes of shame and addiction, out of the grave clothes of being your own father and into the freedom of letting him be your father. So just stand up all across this room for me, if that's all right. And I just want to invite you just to be really bold tonight. If you want to be saying, listen, I don't just need God to save me. I need him right now. I need him to set me free from these grave clothes, whatever they are. I need a fresh touch from God. I need a new level of freedom. You might have received God's forgiveness, but have you received his freedom?